Section 2 of The Lion's Brood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shashank Jakmola. The Lion's Brood by Duffield Osborne. Words. Three days had passed since the awful news from the shore of Lake Transiminus had plunged Rome into horror and despair. Every hour had brought in stragglers, horse, foot, fugitives from the countryside, each bearing his tale of slaughter. Crowds gathered at the gates, swarming about every newcomer, vociferous for his story, and then cursing and threatening the teller because it was what they knew it must be. In the atrium of Titus Manlius, Torquatus, on the brow of the Palatine, overlooking the new way, was gathered a company of three. The aged master of the house, a type of the Roman of better days, and a worthy descendant of that Torquatus who had won the name. His son Caius, the youth who had been with Sergius in the forum, and Lucius Sergius himself. All were silent and serious. The elder Torquatus sat by a square fountain ornamented with bronze dolphins that lay in the middle of the mosaic paving of the apartment. The walls were painted half yellow, half red, after the manner of Magna Gracia, while round them were ranged the statues of the Manlian nobles. The roof was supported in the Tuscan fashion by four beams crossing each other at right angles, and including between them the open space above the fountain. It was the old man who spoke first. Do not think, my Lucius, but that I see the justice of your prayer, or that I wish otherwise than that Marcia should wind wool about your doorposts. Still, there is much to be said for delay. Surely these days are not auspicious ones for marriages, and surely better will come. You have my pledge, as had my dead friend Marcus Marcius, in the matter of her name. Do you think it was nothing for me to call a daughter other than Manlia, and for a plebeian house at that? Yet she is Marcia. Doubt not that I will keep this word as well. I, but father, persisted Sergius. Is it not something that she should be mine to protect in time of peril? And who so able to protect as Lucius? Put in Caius, with an admiring glance, for Caius Torquatus was six years younger than his friend, and admired him with all the devotion of a younger man. Has it come that her house cannot protect its women? cried the elder Torquatus. What more shameful than that our daughter should be carried thus across a Sergian threshold, going like a slave to her master? He spoke proudly and sternly. Then, turning to Sergius, he went on more gently. Were you to remain in the city, my son, there might be more force in what you claim. But you will go out with one of the new legions that they will doubtless raise, and you will believe an old man who says that it is not well for a soldier in the field to have a young wife at home. Sergius flushed and was silent, lest his answer should savour of pride or disrespect toward an elder. Suddenly they became conscious of a commotion in the street. Shrill cries were borne to their ears, and, a moment later, blows fell upon the outer door, followed by the grinding noise as it turned upon its pivots. 
a freedman burst into the atrium. Titus Torquatus rose from his seat and half raised his staff as if to punish the unceremonious intrusion. Then he noted the excitement under which the man seemed to be labouring and stood stern and silent to learn what news could warrant such a breach of decorum. It is Maharbal, they say, and the speaker's voice came almost in gasps. Maharbal and the Numidians. Not at the gates, cried both young men, springing to their feet. But the other shook his head and went on. No, not that, not yet. But he has cut up four thousand cavalry in Umbria with Caius Centinius. The consul had sent them from Gaul. Be silent, commanded the elder Torquatus. Surely I hear the public crier in the street. Is he not summoning the senate? Velo, he said, turning to the freedman, you are pardoned for your intrusion. Go now and bear orders for me to arm my household and that my clients and freedmen wait upon me in the morning. It is possible that the Republic may call for every man, and though I fear Titus Manlius Torquatus cannot strike the blows he struck in Sicily, yet even his sword might avail to pierce light armour, and he is happy in that he can give those to the state whose muscles shall suffice to drive the point through heavy buckler and breastplate. Shall it be permitted that I attend you to the Senate house? asked Caius. His father inclined his head, and, donning the togas which slaves had brought, they hurried into the street, hardly noting that Sergius had reseated himself and was gazing absently down into the water, counting the ripples that spread from where each thread-like stream fell from its dolphin-mouthed source. He did not know how long he had sat thus, nor was he, perhaps, altogether conscious of his motive in failing to pay the aged senator the honour of accompanying him, at least so far as the gates of the Temple of Concord. Sounds came to his ears from the apartments above, the trampling of feet and bustle of preparation that told of Velo's delivery of his patron's commands. Then a woman's laugh rang through the passage that led back to the garden of the peristyle. Sergius rose and turned, just as a girl sprang out into the atrium, looking back with a laughing challenge to someone who seemed to pursue her, but who hesitated to issue from the protecting darkness. "'What do you fear, Minutia?' she cried. "'My father and Caius have gone, and there is no one—' Oh! Suddenly she became conscious of Sergius' presence, and her olive cheeks flushed to a rich crimson. Then she faced him with an air of pretty defiance and went on, no one here but Lucius Sergius Fidenas, who should have business elsewhere. Sergius said nothing, but continued to stand with eyes fixed thoughtfully upon her face. Her figure was tall, slender, and very graceful, her hair and eyes were dark, and her features delicate and perfectly moulded. Over all was now an expression of hoydenish mirth that bespoke the complete forgetfulness of serious things that only comes to young girls. His attentive silence seemed at last to disturb her. An annoyed look drove the smile from her lips, and, with an utmost imperceptible side-motion of her small head, she went on. Surely Lucius Sergius Fidenas has not allowed my father to go to the Senate house with only Caius to attend him. Lucius respects my father too much for that and too disinterestedly. 
it is an even more serious omission than his failure to attend the consul at Thrasymenus. Sergius' eyes blazed at the taunt, and, struggling with the answer that rose to his lips, he said nothing for fear he might say too much. The girl watched him closely. Her mirth returned a little at the sight of his confusion, and, with her mirth, came something of mercy. Oh, to be sure, his wound. I almost forgot that. Tell me, my brave Lucius, did the Gauls bite hard when they caught you in the woods and drove you and my brave uncle to Tanis? How funny for naked Gauls to ambush Roman legionnaires and chase them home! Father has not spoken to Uncle Sness since. He says it was his duty to have remained on the field, and I suppose he thinks it was yours too, instead of running away like a fox to be shut up in his hole. Sergius had recovered his composure now, but his brow was clouded. You are as cruel as ever, Marcia, he said, and yet I know you have heard that it was the men of my maniple who carried me away, senseless from the blow of a dead man. Oh, you did kill him, I remember now, she resumed, with some display of interest. You had run him through, had you not? And he just let his big sword drop on your head. I got Caius to show me about it, and I was the gaul. Caius did not stab me, but I let the stick fall pretty hard, and Caius had a sore head for two days. I meant it for you, because you are trying to make an old woman of me when I am hardly a girl. Marcia began Lucius, but she raised her hand warningly and went on. Do you want me to tell you why my father will not let you marry me now? There are two reasons. One, because I don't want him to, and another because he thinks you must do something great to wipe out the stain of a Roman centurion's even being carried away before the Gauls. That will be an easy task, judging by the news we receive each day. I wish I felt as certain of the safety of the Republic as I am that my honour shall be satisfactorily vindicated. He spoke bitterly, but she went on without taking note of his meaning. These are auspicious words, my Lucius. You will regain your honour. Father will once more receive you into his favour, and by that time I shall doubtless be old enough to marry. Perhaps too old, but no, I must not wait so long as that. Perhaps I shall have married someone else by the time you are worthy of my favour. More probably I shall have ceased to care for the favour of living men and women. Truly, and you think you will have to die. Perhaps you will be a Decius Miss, and stand on the javelin and wear the cincture cabinus. And then I shall mourn for you and hang so many garlands on your tomb that all the shades of your friends will be mad with jealousy. Marcia, is it possible for you to be serious? He was pale with suppressed passion, and as he spoke, he stepped forward and laid his hand upon her wrist. She sprang back and half raised a light staff she carried while her face flushed crimson. I will be more serious than will please you, she said, if you please me as little as you do now. Learn, I am not your wife that you should seek to restrain me, and it is quite possible that I never shall be. You speak truly, he said. It is quite possible that no woman shall be a new mother to the house of Edenus, that our name shall die in me. So be it, and may the gods only avert the evils that threaten the Republic, nor look upon one of the race of the Trojan Segestes as an unworthy offering. 
Bending his head in respectful salutation, he turned toward the entrance hall. Marcia stood silent beside the fountain, and her face clouded with thought. The sound of her lover's footsteps grew fainter and fainter. She started forward as if to follow him. Then she stopped and listened. The noise of the street had drowned their echoes. The door had creaked twice on its pivots. He was gone. Then she called, Lucius! But there was no answer. Her eyes drooped with a little frown of regret, but in a moment she turned away laughing. Never mind, he cannot do anything very desperate yet, and I will treat him better next time. Perhaps. End of section number two.